Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Isaiah addresses a people who despair because they lack the light. Isaiah 9.1 serves as a transition text between the prophecy of impending judgment in Isaiah 8.16-22 and the Psalm of Thanksgiving in Isaiah 9.2-7. In 8.16-22, the prophet announces a period of distress, gloom, and thick darkness that will befall the people. Hunger will fill the people, and they will be enraged and curse their king and gods. In their despair, they will turn to necromancy, consult ghosts and the dead, and forsake the instruction of the Lord. This is not merely a description of darkness, but it is the language of death and the underworld. Gloom and darkness signify the devastation to the land and the people's experience of military defeat. In these conditions, hunger and depopulation were ever-present challenges facing the people. It has been said that the biblical prophets are survival literature of war-torn communities, and Isaiah 9, 1-4 uh, would certainly not be an exception to this rule. To a destitute people, Isaiah announces a coming age when night will be transformed to day, Israel need not despair because the same people who walked in darkness will experience a great light. Throughout the book of Isaiah, the prophet will associate God's work of salvation with the new or latter things in contrast to former things. Hear now the word of the Lord from Isaiah 9, 1 through 4, as found on page 624 in your pew Bible. But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Friends, know this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23, the calling of the disciples. Listen now for the word of God. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. What is your calling in life? All of us have thought about that. All of us have wondered about that. All of us have dealt with that in one way or another. For some of us, it happened in the middle of the night when God woke us up and said, you need to do so and so, and we got up and we did that. For others of us, we tested God, and for two or three different careers, we kept avoiding God's claim on our lives, and finally we said, okay, I finally get it. I'm a slow learner. One time we lost a job and didn't have anything to do, and suddenly this position came open, and it fit, and we finally realized that's where we belong. Or some of us have been doing the same job for 30 years and figure this must be my calling. I don't know anything else. All of us could talk about our call story. All of us could talk about how God has worked in mysterious ways, his wonders to behold. All of us can look back over our history and see what God has done to shape us and to fashion us and to open doors and to close other doors. Well, today's passage of scripture from Matthew is about the calling of the disciples, Simon and Andrew, James and John. And for some reason this past week, I came to a conclusion that I'd never seen before in this passage of scripture. And it may be right or it may be wrong that many of us are seeking a call, are really seeking a career, that we really got it backwards Instead of seeking a call from God Almighty, we're seeking a career that will satisfy and fulfill us and make us happy. And we wonder why we can't get it together. So the question is, is it a call or is it a career? My hypothesis is that many of us are frustrated because we think that a career is really what a call is all about. And so I want you to stay with me as I try to unravel this new way of thinking in my mind and see if we can make some sense out of this. Now, I realize that all my sermons are not crystal clear because sometimes I'm working out some stuff myself in terms of what Scripture says. And you're most gracious when you come out of church and you say, we certainly appreciate the sermons and appreciate the good work you're doing. But I wonder sometimes if this one-way communication is not helpful and wondered if we ought to be more in conversation with each other about this passage of Scripture and what it says about me and about my life. And another picky thing, when you come out of church, 
with all the best of intentions, you say, I really enjoyed that sermon. It may not have been a sermon meant to be enjoyed. It may be a sermon that needs to be challenged. I'm just saying it, but I appreciate your support. In this passage of scripture, there seems to be trouble in the religious community. We're told that John the Baptist had been arrested. He's been put in jail. And this kind of spooks Jesus. And so Jesus withdraws, it says, into Galilee. Now, Galilee was not the best of communities. And this supposedly was at least the fourth place Jesus has lived, at least we know about in Scripture. He went to Capernaum. And Capernaum is part of the Galilee area. Galilee was not the best reputation of its inhabitants. It didn't have the best known citizens. It didn't have the highest class of neighborhood to live in. It was not where one would want to have an address from. People there were not the best citizens they could be. But Jesus living in that area was not just by happenstance because he happened to be there when John got arrested. No, this was to fulfill the prophet Isaiah's words. But in the latter times, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This was part of God's will. This was part of God's intention that Jesus would live in that area, not among the best people in the community, but among people that were in need and people that needed a Savior and needed a Lord. But Jesus living in these different localities also illustrates the word Emmanuel that we've talked a lot about since the Christmas season. That is God with us. For the God that we worship is not a king who sits on a throne somewhere off in a foreign land or in some capital city, but the God that we worship is one that walks with us and talks with us. The God we worship is one that is among us as human beings living and breathing as we do indeed God with us. And so this context of Capernaum, this living in this area, God with us, is all the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And this is where he started his ministry. And it's in this ministry that we are invited to participate. And his message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Now, I've seen that passage lots of times in my ministry, but for some reason, settled right in the middle of this passage of Scripture, it kind of jumped out at me. And I wonder if it's not the key to what a calling is all about. For our calling is not to be a nurse or a doctor or an executive. Our calling is not to be a mother or a school teacher. Our calling is not to be a minister. I think our calling as a Christian is to repent. And when that occurs, then the whole issue of career and what I'm going to do with my life is taken care of. So what is this repentance all about? I've said before, when I've talked about repentance, it's like walking down towards Stewart Circle on Monument Avenue and suddenly turning around and going in the opposite direction back towards the Lee Statue. 180 degree turnaround from a direction that we were going in and go in a whole new different direction. 
For repentance is not a word about a feeling or an emotion. Repentance is a word of action. For under the influence of the prophets, repentance became not something you felt, but something you did. You didn't repent by taking a deep breath and saying, oh, I'm glad that's over with. You repented only when you turned around and went back toward God. And with all due respect, it didn't matter how you felt. What is essential is that you did something. The call to repentance is not a call to feel a remorse for our sins. The call to repentance is to turn our life around so God can deal with our life. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart. Repentance is a surrender. Repentance is a relationship with Jesus Christ. An acknowledgement that I am not able. An acknowledgement that I'm not capable. The acknowledgement that I don't have what it takes to live this life fully and completely. An acknowledgement that my way is not the way. It literally is turning loose of self and turning towards God accepting the free gift of grace that only can come from Jesus Christ and a declaration that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior now some of us are picky Christians and we treat our faith as if it's a smorgasbord kind of reminds me of Wednesday night supper last week on the taco bar that we had and all the different dishes were out there and you could choose what you wanted to as you went down the line to make your taco or to make your taco salad. It was wonderful. And by the way, Wednesday night supper is the best kept secret in this city. If you're not there, you're missing it. It's good food and it's wonderful fellowship. Show up. Like going down the taco bar and say, you know, I need a scoop of God's love for me. Because I've had a rough week. But I'm not sure I'm able to share that same love with my neighbor who despises me. I need a cup of God's forgiveness. Because I want to be forgiven. But I'm not sure I can practice that forgiveness with that person against whom I carry this grudge. I want Jesus to be my savior and save me from my sins. But I'm not sure about this thing of being more Christ-like so I can live like Christ wants me to. And I think the promises of God in Scripture are wonderful, but I'm not sure I can live up to the promises of being more Christ-like. It sounds crazy when we put Christ on the buffet and we pick and choose what we're comfortable with or what we think we like. For surrendering to Jesus is not a sometime or a part-time business. It's not just a piece of who Jesus is. It's a complete surrender all of my life. It's a change of heart and a change of mind. It's an acceptance of that gift that only Christ can give us so that Jesus becomes real in our hearts and minds and in our souls. 1867, Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. He was a Swedish chemist. And his dream was that this new discovery 
would frighten people so much that they would never think about having war anymore. And the very opposite occurred. The dynamite he created was more horrific and more devastating than he could even imagine. And in the process of that, he made an incredible fortune in his business. But one morning, around the turn of the century, he was having his coffee and reading the newspaper, and he read his own obituary. It read, in part, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, died yesterday and devised a way for more people to be killed in war than ever before. He died a rich man. Say the least, he was devastated. The newspaper had it wrong. His older brother had died the day before, and they got it mixed up. But to say the least, this obituary had an incredible, profound impact on Alfred Nobel. He was embarrassed that he had been the person to develop the most effective killing machine of his generation and had gotten rich off of doing it. As a result, he founded the Nobel Peace Prize for scientists and writers who foster peace around the world. Nobel was given a chance to change, a chance to turn around. A chance in Christian vocabulary and language to repent. And that very same gift is there for each and every one of us. A chance to choose and a chance to respond to God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ. I believe our calling as Christians is first and foremost to repent. To give ourselves completely over to Jesus Christ to declare that Jesus is both Lord and Savior, not just Savior, not just Lord, to let others know of that commitment, of our values, of our lifestyle, of our hope. For our hope is the fact that it doesn't rest in me. It doesn't rest in my knowledge or my skills or my ways, but in God's ways. It doesn't rest in my life, but in God's life. An incredible gift for every one of us. Now to some meddling. If you buy what I'm saying, and you don't have to. We can have interesting conversations about this. If you buy what I'm saying, there's some implications of this that I find to be rather exciting. First of all, this free gift of repentance is available to everybody because Jesus is Lord of all people. There's not an exclusive guest list that are invited to repent and to experience this incredible gift of Jesus Christ. It's for all of us, which means every one of us here today as well. Secondly, this gift of repentance, I think, is freedom. We are free to take any career we might want to take. We are free to use the God-given talents that we have in any way God desires for us to use them. If we repent, we no longer need to feel we're stuck in the job we can't stand. Because God is with us, we can take risk and take chances and take possibilities we never thought possible. Look at the disciples Simon and Andrew, James and John, they were doing their daily job. 
what they had done for years and years and years. And they took a risk when Jesus called them. They took a risk to try something different and they became fulfilled. They jumped, but they didn't jump alone. Repentance is freedom for us to be the true people God wants us to be. And finally, it seems to me that Jesus calls us in the ordinary daily task of life that we find ourselves in. In our daily job, in our relationship with family and friends, it's Jesus that comes by and says, I want you and I'm calling you to be about some possibilities you never thought possible. It's in the ordinary that God calls us to be extraordinary and to find ways and to do things we never thought possible, to dream dreams we never thought possible. So every day be ready for God in Christ is in your life every moment of every day. We are called to repent. We're not called, first of all, to a career. We're called to a relationship with Jesus Christ a relationship with Jesus Christ which might have several careers during our lifetime but every career is under the lordship of Christ who directs our ways and guides our feet and gives us guidance that we need. This sermon today is intended to nudge us. Whether you're employed currently, whether you're retired, whether you're working or not working, it seems to me that this message is for all of us. For every day we breathe in this life is a calling for us to repent, which gives us opportunities to serve Jesus Christ in lots of different ways. I think it's fun. I think it's freeing. I think it's faithful. But the question all of us have to wrestle with what is our calling? What is my calling? And how am I going to live that out? Let us pray. Indeed, oh God, we often get confused about career or about calling. And yet you stand there with us. Help to nudge us to see what you're calling us to be about as your repentant disciples and in this experience of repentance, allow us to see new possibilities we never thought possible. All of which gives you praise, honor, and glory this day and forever. Amen.